Hello and welcome aboard the Transit Authority, the official podcast of the American Public Transportation Association. I'm Mitch Wood, graphic designer in the Communications and Marketing Department at APTA and a member of our staff diversity, inclusion, and belonging working group. And it's my pleasure to host this episode of the Transit Authority as we celebrate LGBTQ Pride Month. We have a great program for you today. Our guest is Don Disler, the Chief Executive Officer of Akron Metro Regional Transit Authority in Akron, Ohio. Don is a 30-year veteran of the public transportation industry. She started her career as a bus operator at Metro, and after serving 17 years with the agency, Don headed south to join the leadership team at Davidson Transit Organization in Nashville, Tennessee. Later, she became the director of transit at Knoxville Area Transit in Knoxville before assuming her current leadership position in Akron. Don has a bachelor's in business management from the University of Phoenix and is a member of the American Public Transportation Association Board of Directors. Don, welcome to the podcast and thanks for being here to talk a little bit about LGBTQ related issues in the field of transportation. Did I get everything right in describing your career and is there anything else you'd like to add? No, you got everything pretty good. Thank you for having me, Mitch. I appreciate it. Sure. With Transportation Secretary Buttigieg serving in the administration, this year's Pride is somewhat of a historic occasion. What do you think it means to have the first ever openly gay cabinet member? For our community, it's definitely a step forward, a step forward in being recognized as we're people. It's that plain and simple. But what's even cooler is I, I really think that Pete Buttigieg is is a good a good person to be in that position. Uh, he understands infrastructure. He was great as mayor, and he he really likes to stay with the people, listen to the people, and take his cues from the people, which I think is refreshing. I believe that visibility really helps. I think it helps people who may not have had much contact with members of the LGBT community to understand something about how we got to where we are and that we are all in a never-ending process of coming out to those uh, with whom we interact in our professional and personal lives. Can you share something about how you came to identify as a member of the LGBTQ community? Yeah. So since I'm pretty old, that was quite a while ago. It was definitely uh, not accepted. And uh, I was struggling with what I'd been indoctrinated to believe was right. So to me, it didn't feel right. It took me a while. It took me a couple of decades to kind of figure it out in a way. But for me, I was very fortunate to really find my truth. And I found that when I met my wife. So that was like more than 30 years ago that I met my wife. And so it was kind of freeing to do that because I, I was I was proud of that. And if you want to go with an old movie line, she uh, did make me a better person. So it made me want to be me and to be accepted as me and to live that truth. Thanks. Have you personally ever been subject to discrimination due to your sexual orientation or any other non-work-related reason? 
And and if so, how did you deal with that situation, and how did it affect your thinking as you have advanced through your career? Yeah, I think there's always been some sort of discrimination. I don't think it's a a blatant discrimination. You know, a, a person who is black, brown, Asian has a, an open disability that people can see. I could hide what people would discriminate against me about. Uh, so I think in some ways that makes it easier, some ways it makes it harder. But I think I felt discriminated against more because I wasn't afforded the rights and responsibilities that my friends and my family were afforded by just as simple as being married. I had to worry about whether my wife had in medical insurance or not, whether she would be taken care of if something happened to me. Or would we be able to make decisions for each other should unfortunate accident occur or something like that? Would we even be allowed in the hospital room? So that type of, I guess, fear more than anything to me was a discrimination. Recently, I have found that there has been some some discrimination, which was new for me, really, uh, based on my sexual orientation. And uh, that came as a result of some issues with our union leadership. So I was I was real surprised when that came up and became an an issue for them. Wow. Uh, Thanks for sharing that. How can the leadership, the the CEO, senior executives and, and board members of transit agencies work to ensure that the agencies they serve fully recognize the value of LGBTQ employees and customers? And from a leadership and policy perspective, help advance inclusivity, diversity, and equity? Well, you know, the easy answer to that is, you know, making sure that your policies and your processes are not discriminatory, that the language in those processes and policies is not discriminatory, and making sure that you have diverse training and training that doesn't discriminate uh, against many different groups in the community, but also the LGBTQ community. I think the more difficult answer to that, though, is I think it's more of hope and hope that we grow, that we continue to grow as a nation more than anything, so that we don't have to worry about where we come from. We don't have to worry about whether we're rich or poor, black or white, gay or straight, that those things don't matter and people are just seen as people and who they are. And, um, you know, that's something that I think has to come from the way that we treat people now and making sure, making doggone sure that our local laws and and the laws that are put in place protect everyone. They're just, let's be honest, just for straight white people. How can the staff of transit agencies, especially those on the front line, work to ensure that LGBT coworkers are treated as equals? and that LGBTQ commuters feel welcomed uh, and valued as customers and stakeholders? Yeah, you know, I I guess training always seems to be the answer. Continue to train, continuing to uh, help your system grow. But I think even more importantly than training is coaching, making sure that you you sit down and, and you work with folks, even with the slightest type of what might be considered discrimination, you know, something as simple as, a roll of the eyes when somebody walks on your bus or as simple as, you know, the the shake of a head. Those are things that can make people feel uncomfortable. And we have to remember that we're here to serve our community, 
this isn't, we're not entitled. This isn't an entitlement. You know, we're here for the community. We exist for the community, but we exist because of the community. And I think, you know, one of the things that I always thought that was really cool about being a bus operator, I thought it was like the most diverse thing that I could possibly do because, you know, when you open the door, you, you don't ask people how much they make, what religion they are, like, like we said before, what sex they are, what race they might be. You, you just, Hey, you say, you know, come on, get on, uh, you know, pay your fare, sit down, hold on. And then the back of the bus, the bus, the people on the bus, they become a community in their own right. And, you know, because a lot of times people are riding the same bus every day, same bus operator. You learn who they are and, and you learn what they do and you look out for each other. So to me, uh, public transportation just kind of became the coolest thing you could do to be diverse and provide diversity. It sounds like you've you've carried that positivity all the way from being a bus operator to your current position. I like uh, to think I have. <laughs> There are a number of organizations that have resources that may help training, human rights campaign, pride at work, or we move people, LGBT in transportation. Are there any resources or organizations that you found helpful in providing training? You've named a lot of the good ones. Um, you know, they are, they're there for us to, I guess, plagiarize and take from because why reinvent the wheel? Uh, locally, we're very fortunate because our chamber has put together a diversity and inclusion committee and working group. And a matter of fact, I was just on a, a call with them this morning. And we're working hard to make sure that everyone is included in all aspects of our community. So whether that is the business community, um, how we hire, how we do our uh, procurements, it's not just about transit, it's about the entire community. So I think that's helped. But you know, one of the, you and I talked a little bit before this, and we talk, we keep talking a lot about training. And one of the things that I've kind of been pushing here since I got here is training and how we train. And I know you, you mentioned the Human Rights Campaign's uh, website. And it was funny because I went back to talk to our director of operations just just to see where she thought we were, touch base, get the pulse of of the training and where it's starting to go to. And it was interesting how, hey, I looked on that website of Human Rights Campaign and, and I found these different things. And not only did she find different things in the trainings that she needs to think about, she also found stories about people. And she started going to their websites. And she goes, these are some really cool people. She goes, just listening to them talk and listening to their stories. And I feel for them. And, you know, I think that's part of the training. Part of the training is bringing in people to talk to you about how they feel. When you put a, a name with a face, when you put a, a person with the situation, I think people stand up, sit up and take notice more. So I think we have to really be hands on and, and make it more personal. If we make it more personal, I think that helps people accept more. I know a lot of people got to know my wife and I as people first and because they might have met us through work or through something else and they never really equated what's going on or that, you know, we're a couple. And I think sometimes that helped people go, well, you guys aren't so bad. And I've had people say that to me, you know, you guys are, are pretty cool and I never met a gay couple before. Well, we're no different than you. We're no different than you as a couple. 
we're just happy to be together and 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 want to have a good life and you know love our families and and our friends and have fun too. So we're all people, and that's the thing people need to remember. Well, we've certainly come a long way uh, since Stonewall in terms of acceptance and visibility. Let's take a moment for a short break and then continue our conversation with our guest right after this. Did you know that APTA conducts peer reviews for its members on a broad range of issues such as operations, safety, organizational efficiency, and more? Even in the COVID-19 era, our peer review program is able to assist by offering virtual options. Visit APTA.com and learn more about this valuable member resource. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast of the Transit Authority. I'm Mitch Wood, APTA's graphic designer, and we're back with Don Disler, Chief Executive Officer of Akron Metro. Don, does Akron Metro have a recognized LGBTQ affinity group where staff can share their personal experiences, raise LGBTQ-related issues for management's consideration, or perhaps plan off-work social activities or gatherings such as family picnics? Right now, I won't say that we have that formally. We are uh, in the process of putting a program like that together. So we're working hard to involve everyone. It was very siloed here. And so we're working hard to involve everyone, put committees together that talk about things. So one of the first things we did was put together a green team that, that has administration, it has operators, it has mechanics, has customer service, um, and these people have worked hard on sustainability issues. We also put together a social and racial justice committee, which is made up of another group of folks from all through the organization. And one of the things we want to do is expand that. So we're, we're looking to expand our inclusion and equity department itself, make it a department instead of it just being part of HR. And once we make that a department, I'm confident that that's going to grow. It's been fun to watch what other people are doing, and we want to be a part of that also. I think those kinds of groups can be really helpful for employee morale and build a sense of team and working together. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, a very wise mentor of mine once told me, don't get discouraged because you spend 90% of your time with 10% of the people. And I think those kind of groups, that those are the people who, who aren't the folks who are always complaining about things. They're not the usually the folks that are, uh, let's say, the squeaky wheels. And so they're, they're not the 10%. And I think when they figure out, wait a minute, I can be part of this and I don't just need to come to work and go home and not worry about what's going on. Um, people actually care and I can be part of caring and making it better. I think that you're right. You get more buy-in from your team as a whole. Uh, as far as the community is concerned, does Akron Metro have any relationship with Akron Pride parades or festivals? Absolutely. Yeah, we're we're um, big supporters of Akron Pride here in Summit County. And uh, one of the things that they do that's a little different and interesting here is they don't want to compete with the larger cities. We're kind of like right smack dab in the middle of Cleveland and Columbus, who are a lot bigger than us. So they have found that it works better and they move their pride parade and celebration to August. So we won't actually have ours till August, 
because many of our folks go to Columbus, go to Cleveland, because it's very easy. So in August, we will be part again, uh, just like we did two years ago, because of course there wasn't anything last year with COVID. But this year, we again, will have a bus in the parade. We'll have a bus that's down there then at the festival itself. And people will be able to get out of the heat and enjoy the air conditioning, but also uh, see what Metro has to provide. And two years ago, we marched in the parade. We walked and we also um, had one of our board members and his entire family uh, was there with their kids, their kids' friends. And there were about, oh, I bet there were about 15 or 20 of us supporting Metro as, as part of the, the walk. You know, it's just always really satisfying to know that we can be a part of those community events and not just pride. We're, we're part of a lot of the different events here, but pride is one that of course is special to me. Sure. Sure. Uh, I love the idea of, of having uh, a bus there in the parade and then uh, at the festival. I bet that's a, a big draw and, and uh, great, great publicity. It is. And our bus is purple. So it makes it even more exciting for folks. <laughs> well, that's, that uh, goes for the season. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, last year during Pride season, as protests over police brutality and racism swept the country, you wrote a commentary for APTA's biweekly newspaper, uh, Passenger Transport, in which you called for the LGBTQ community and our allies to center on the fight for racial justice. So now it's a year later. What do you see in the way of progress towards affecting substantive change? I think we're still a long way away from having that social justice, racial justice. But I do think that we're making progress. I, I think we're, we're trying hard. I think one of the differences that you see and one of the things that the Black community called for is that all of us stand together, that we stand by the side of the black community. And, you know, we're there when, when they're protesting, we're there when they're calling for change and that we're there supporting them. I think that it's been very important for us to continue to, to fight that. And, you know, one of the main reasons I, I do say that is one, it's the right thing to do. But the other thing is as the LGBTQ community, our brothers and sisters in our community are black, brown, Asian, poor, rich, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so we are part of what is going on. So not only are we gay, we, we are all these other things that make up an awesome, awesome world. And, and I think that it's important for us to understand that it's not just gay, it's, it's all these other things together as we have it in our DNI council and, and APTA is doing the kaleidoscope groups. You know, it, it is a kaleidoscope. It, it's, it's all different makes and colors and models and sizes. And, and we need to make sure that we understand that and that we don't even discriminate internally inside our own community, you know, and this may be a little long for you, but I think it's important. Eleanor Roosevelt said, where after all do universal human rights begin in small places close to home, so close and so small that they cannot be seen on many maps of the world. Yet they are the world of the individual person, the neighborhood they live in, the school or college that they attend, the factory farm or office where they work. Such are the places where every man, woman, and child seeks equal justice, 
equal opportunity, equal dignity without discrimination. And unless these rights have meaning there, they have little meaning anywhere. Without concerned citizen action to uphold them close to home, we shall look in vain for progress in the larger world. And that quote has always just stuck with me about, hey, you got you to start at home. You got to start with yourself. So we start here. I try to start with myself, then start at home, the organization, and as we go on, the association. And hopefully at some point, you know what, maybe we are part of changing the world. That's a really powerful quote, and uh, it kind of calls us all to account. Many of us are, are fortunate to work for agencies or businesses that have very positive track records on advancement for LGBTQ staff, enforcement of anti-discrimination policies, and encouragement from state and local government officials. But there are also many transit workers for whom this support is not readily available. What steps can individuals or small groups in less friendly environment take to effect change And how can those of us who are better situated help or advocate for improvement? I think it's important that we keep talking. It's important that we call out injustice when when we see it or hear it. It's important that we don't laugh at the joke. It's important that the joke that's not right. I like laughing at jokes, but don't, don't laugh at the joke that isn't appropriate. Don't be quiet when we know that something isn't the right thing to do. You know, I'm I'm reading President Obama's book right now, and one of the things that really struck me in his book is he talked about why he decided to run for president the first time. And, you know, it, it wasn't so much about he thought he was the end all to everything or that he just wanted to be the first black president or something like that, but he wanted to affect change, but he wanted kids, kids to see that they could be something else. And he wanted to make sure that kids saw that someone who looks like them can fight the good fight and and be part of change. And, And I think that's important for us too, as a community and in transit to make sure that we are part of the change, that we stand up, that we talk, that we tell people we're here. You know, I don't walk around and tell everybody, hey, I'm gay and I'm the CEO. If me being gay happens to come out in that, that's fine. I live that life. So I live it openly. And I hope that other people who are thinking, I can't be in a position where I can affect change because I have to be quiet. I hope they they see and I can show that they don't have to be quiet. You can affect change, affect it for the right reasons, and make sure that you're you're not doing it just because, that you're doing it for the right reasons, and that the people then who come behind you can take it even a step further. And so I think it's important for our young brothers and sisters that are, are coming up through the ranks to see that it's always okay to be you, no matter who that is, do you. Yeah, I think there are a lot of ways, both big and small, that, that can help people along, whether it's serving as a mentor or just giving a friendly uh, email, uh, sending a friendly email to, to someone and letting them know you're there to support them. Absolutely, that's true. And you know what? It never hurts to think, hey, I'm thinking about somebody today. Shoot them that text, shoot them that email, or pick up the phone and call. That's always a, a good one too. But we, we have so many different avenues that we can communicate with people now. 
uh, go ahead and do that because you, you might you might be making somebody smile that day. So I, I Mitch, I think that's a great thing to to say. And as our last question, Don, we know you've been an active member of APTA's Diversity and Inclusion Council and the Racial Equity Working Group. Can you say a little bit more about your passion for this area and how you see APTA's commitment to racial justice and LGBTQ inclusion progressing? Sure. You know, I kind of remember when this all started and it it all kind of started as a support group. I was invited by my friend Barry Barker to attend a meeting during one of the conferences and it was during lunch. There weren't more than, I don't even think there were 10 people in the room really, but we were all kind of sitting there. We didn't really know each other. A couple of people knew each other, but what you could feel was there was a passion there. Everybody was happy to be there and know there were other people in the organization that were kind of having the same struggles or fighting the same fight. And it was funny because, you know, I I guess, you know, we all must have thought it was important because we all gave up our conference sponsored lunch for that day to be there. And we all know how good that food is. So we didn't (laughs) want to miss that. But then it grew larger. I remember listening over and over again to Dorn Barnes as uh, he led us through the year of the conference in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was really struck by his passion for ensuring that everything was very diverse and um, very inclusive. And I mean, you know, that was that was a big controversy with the uh, state laws that were going into effect in North Carolina that discriminated. And so that grew into that DNI council. So it went from like this support group to this now what's this huge council with so many people on it, we can barely all fit in a room sometimes. And we've taken it from let's talk about what's wrong, let's talk about what's not going right, let's talk about our woes to how can we affect change and not just stand up for what we believe in, but how do we put things in place? So you know, there's that old saying of diversity is is when people are invited to dance and inclusion is when they're asked to dance. I think equity is when you let people pick the music, too. And, and I think that's kind of where we're at now is we're providing support and we're providing inclusive and equitable means for for organizations to go, yes, you know, we have the scorecard that we're using now to say, are you being equitable in your group? And we continue to add on to that and continue to make it better. And I think when organizations start picking up that scorecard for equity and using it, and then it just continues to grow, I think APTA has taken on a good role in not just saying, oh yeah, this is wrong, but in saying, this is how we fix it. And we're going to hold you responsible to fix it and give you the tools to fix it. And I think we need to, to, as an association, keep fighting that fight, not just for the LGBT community, but for all the different communities so that we can be a very inclusive industry and organization. So we've gone from sitting around and talking about what's wrong or what's problematic and networking with one another to getting to a point where we can walk the walk as an association and as an industry. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel that we have. And I feel that is how you grow. And I feel that's how you stand up and make things different. Yes. Thanks, Don. Well, 
We're just about out of time. Of course, I want to say a special thank you to Don Disler for taking the time to join us. And I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Transit Authority, APTA's official podcast. Previous episodes of the Transit Authority can be found on the APTA website, www.apta.com. We invite you to listen to them and to be on the lookout for our next episode. In the meantime, stay safe, be well, enjoy LGBTQ pride, and have a great day, everyone.